0: Simon Wollstonecroft is a drummer from Manchester. His first band at school was with Ian Brown and John Squire. His second band became The Smiths. He played with The Fall for 11 years and continues to play drums for Manchester bands today. Johnny Marr nicknamed him Funky Sigh. This is Funky Sigh's A to Z of Manchester. Hello Simon, how are you?
1: I'm pretty good, thanks Jackie.
0: What have you been up to?
1: Well, I'm kind of a dreading the thought of having to go to Ikea with Lulu <laughs> to buy a couple of wardrobes.
0: Oh, no. It's been
1: on the cards for several months now. The one that we've got is wobbling about all over. It's <laughs> falling to bits. There's nowhere to put all the stuff, you know, her shoes and packs. So I'm not really a big fan of... Uh, I like the stuff, the, the furniture, but I don't like the experience of going there, no. and choosing what you want and then queuing up, you know.
0: We went about a week ago. The queue in the car park alone was, you know, it was around the car park. And I thought, who is queuing to go to Ikea?
1: Oh, you think there'd be better things to do, wouldn't you?
0: Well, we just turned, I just drove round. This is the one in Ashton. Drove past everybody and out the exit again.
1: That's what I would have done. I got the one in Warrington generally. Well, I have in the past, not for several years.
0: You usually see couples arguing in there.
1: You do, don't you? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if you're having a bit of a bit of trouble in your relationship, can I just say, don't Don't go, don't go to IKEA. (laughs) The things that you always have to get in IKEA.
1: Meatballs.
0: Do you know what? It's always meatballs with the men, isn't it? (laughs) They love the meatballs. They're
1: all right, aren't they? I like that red currant jelly. Well, I can't
0: have them. I've told you since meat is murder, vegetarian. Yeah. No, it's tea lights. It's it's candles and tea lights, isn't it?
1: What about one of them Chinese uh, lampshades, paper ones?
0: Oh, the paper ones you get. They're a good seller, aren't they? They are a good seller. Are you good at flat pack furniture?
1: Not at all, no. (laughs) I end up breaking it.
0: Smashing it and firing it through the window?
1: Yeah, or just abandon it and it falls down again a couple of days later.
0: You start off with such hope, don't you? And you think, I can do this.
1: I'm going to get a man to do our our wardrobes when we get them, if we get them.
0: Get a man in.
1: Well, I won't be going in as a massive queue around the block. No, it's bad don't. bad enough as it is.
0: When we got IKEA furniture f- for work, yeah. I, I got a man in. Right. I just said, that's it. I'm not sitting for half a day getting furious. And then, you know, there's always one screw that won't go in properly. And you just think, why Why is that not fitting properly? Nothing's ever quite right about it, is it, if you do it yourself? No. But if you get a man in.
1: Yeah.
0: Or a woman Yeah. It is 2020, Simon. Well, of course, yeah. Of course. Get somebody in who knows what they're doing and has got the correct power tools.
1: That's right before you start.
0: Before you... And then, I don't mind paying them Ikea furnitures. Let's say... I don't want to use the word cheap. What should we say, Simon? Functional. I'm thinking more, you know, doesn't cost a lot of money. Cheap. (laughs) Okay, well, it's sticking with Cheap. So paying somebody to actually put it together for you, it still ends up not costing you that much, no. And, and you're not furious at the end of it,
1: no. And so it, it looks good though when it is up.
0: Yes. So you're going for wardrobes, are you?
1: Yes, two of them, his and hers.
0: Are you going to have his and hers wardrobes?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, nobody's allowed in mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're quite precious about your wardrobe.
1: Well, I will be. Oh. Yeah.
0: Right. Also
1: got a new one.
0: Okay, well, it is letter We're on R, I think, aren't we?
1: Yeah, R, letter R.
0: Okay, what's your first R?
1: The first R is a song by the Fall, one of my favourite ones I played on, Realm of Dusk or R O D as it's sometimes known, abbreviated. It was one of the first songs I recorded with the Fall. It's a big crowd favourite, it used to be. I remember one of the first gigs I did was a festival uh, over in Norway. We performed it for the first time there, it went really well. And every time we did it, people seemed to like it. And Mark had said when we were in Abbey Road recording, it was for Ben Sinister album Simon, I want you to play something like the band The Safaris, that wipe out their song. Oh, yes which is, you know, as you know, it's like a a jungle rhythm, uh, gets the blood going and all that. So I just went for that. It just formed, you know, into shape, pretty much straight away with the rest of the band. Such were, you know, our our understanding of what each of us were going to do.
0: But that's strange, considering you'd only just joined the band.
1: Yeah, but I knew the song, you see, so I kind of knew deep down. um,
0: The sound he was after?
1: Yeah, what he was after. It's just on one uh, rat tom-tom. You know, playing it pretty much all the way through and then the chorus goes to a, a ride cymbal, snare drum, kick drum, and then it breaks down again. I love doing that one, I really do.
0: Have you got a songwriting credit on that one then?
1: Don't think so, no. We need to sort no. that out, Simon. Well, sometimes you give a credit and you didn't think you deserved it and other times you think, hang on a minute, I, I, that's partly my song, that. But that happened a lot with Mark. But I'm not saying he was tight with it. He was very generous, you know. He got quite a few credits where I thought, oh, he's not gonna. I'm not going to get on this. But he did. And it brings a little bit of money in now and again. Not a lot, but...
0: Do you get royalty checks?
1: Yeah, now and again, yeah. yeah. I bet
0: that's nice when that drops through the door. Yeah,
1: it's a nice surprise. Better than a poke in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> My next star... It's the Roppongi Hills District of Tokyo in Japan, where I first went with the fall in 1990 on the Extra Cake Tour. It was a world tour, the biggest tour we ever did when I was in the band anyway. And it was really good fun, really good. But we went there and stayed at this hotel called the Roppongi Prince. which kind of a bit of a rock and roll hotel, nice hotel. And it was the first time I'd ever seen um, fans, you know, Young girls mostly, you know, with toys and presents and stuffed teddies.
0: A bit like the Beatlemania type. On a smaller scale,
1: <laughs> much smaller. But I wasn't sure when I got there whether they were actually waiting for the fall or they just hung around the front door of the hotel all day, every day, for the next, um, you know, rock act to come through. Yeah, I enjoyed it there. It was the first time um, CNN I'd seen 24-hour rolling news thing I mean, Mark used to watch it all the time, you know, in the room. At the start of the Gulf War. So, you know, all this new camera technology um, was shown to the world for the first time, and that's where I, I saw it. Just, you know, pretty flabbergasted by it, really. Yeah, I like Japan. A lot, a lot of bowing going on. Sometimes you felt, oh, you know, you've got to put on a polite face, and people were wearing mass face masks. A lot of people, you know, probably about 50% of the population. Roppongi District is the place where all the great nightclubs are. It's known for its nightlife in Tokyo. I've never seen Blade Runner, but I'm told that's what it looks like.
0: Have you seen Lost in Translation?
1: I don't know, you know, I don't know.
0: With Bill Murray?
1: No, I don't think so. Is oh, that in Japan? I
0: think you'd like it.
1: Right, okay. Yeah. How did you get on? It with
0: makes it? <laughs> makes lo- Japan look fantastic.
1: Oh, it was lovely. A lot of fish. It's, you know.
0: you're always getting back to the fish, aren't <laughs> you, Simon?
1: Yeah, I don't mind a bit of fish.
0: Would you try that fish that might kill you?
1: Yeah, the puffer fish. Would I try it? No.
0: <laughs> no. Why would anybody think that was a good thing to do?
1: Well, it's a kind of a, a thing that people can talk about if they go to dinner parties. Well, they
0: can't talk no. about it if it doesn't end well.
1: No, but if the chef's good, he'll take all the poison out of it, you know, properly. It's not an easy job. I think you've got to be specially trained on the puffer, you know, to be able to do it. But I will not bother, you know what I mean. I do like the food there, the sake. I went back with Ian Brown a couple of times to Tokyo. Well, Mount Fuji Festival specifically, which is held, um, we went on the bullet train, although I did go on the bullet train with the fall as well. We went uh, to Osaka, Kyoto, Nagasaki, playing in these big tower blocks with a gig upstairs.
0: And where were the crowd?
1: In the gig, of course. <laughs>
0: there in the, in the tower block with you?
1: Yeah, you know, like a whole floor of a tower block. Oh, OK. would be a club, you know, on the 18th floor. Club Quattro, I think one of them was called. But I can't remember what city that was in. But I did play at the on the on the side of the Mount Fuji itself with Ian. One of the biggest gigs I've done actually.
0: What a backdrop that. Yeah, it is. was.
1: We stayed in like it was like a, a it's a skiing resort during the winter time. So they've got a hotel like a lodge there, where all the bands stay and everything. But with, obviously we're there in summer, and it was a great gig. Apart from all the equipment uh, broke down, the computers. I don't know if it was because of the heat. Um, This is going back 1999 now. Probably improved the technology now. So things like that don't happen, you know, the electronic computers breaking down.
0: And did it break down for the whole gig?
1: No, for about 15 minutes, but it was the longest 15 minutes I've I've ever experienced. And Ian Bravely went to the front and he had this, uh, like a lantern bamboo lantern thing on a stick. Which was twirling around and doing his best to talk a little bit of Japanese that he knew to keep the crowd going. Now, what I should have done was stayed on the kit and just played a beat behind him, really, thinking back now. But basically, we just thought, oh, God, it's not going to come back on again. So we'd look a bit daft. I started playing something, nothing happened.
0: Had you all left the stage?
1: Apart from Ian, yeah. He he stuck it out. So, uh, you know, God bless him for that. Uh eventually it came back back on.
0: Was he the headliner?
1: I don't know. It was quite late on. It wasn't dark, so probably not. But so uh, it was very popular in Japan, Ian. The Stone Roses were when they went when they first went over there back in the uh, you know, early nineties. They were in a lot of magazines and stuff. So yeah, it was a great experience. I did go, um, another time but, but I was working with Ian as a drum roadie, basically. And I think the mountain had been waterlogged with storms, so they brought it in towards the Tokyo centre, and there was, you know, by the, uh, a big river there. this great big ocean line I went past, I remember it. The Prodigy were playing. I think they might have been headlining. Beck was on as well. But The Prodigy, one of the best live bands I've ever seen, ever. They had a live drummer too. Just Amazing. But I met this Keith Flint, who sadly is not with us anymore, later on in this club called Lexington, Queens, which was a club that had pictures of all the Rolling Stones and prints on the walls. And this mysterious American guy, you know, with white hair, a white linen suit who was the boss there. And, you know, I think that was the place where everybody used to go if they were playing. I walked in and there was a VIP area roped off with a velvet rope. And Keith Flint was in there on his own and said, you can't come in here, it's reserved for the ladies.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I so said, you what? You know, you'd, I'm coming in and uh, he wasn't very happy about it. There's was nobody else there, just him. And it wasn't his party or his club, but what a great band anyway.
0: Did you take the velvet rope and go on the other side of it?
1: Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And, well, and the tour manager, Hugh, he was behind me, he came in with me who knew Keith Flint, and said, oh, no, it's all right, it's all right, you know. <laughs> so I got really annoyed the way he was talking to me. What can I say? Brilliant band, and everybody said he's a lovely guy.
0: That's like the scene from Extras. <laughs> Did you watch Extras?
1: No. What was them um, With
0: Ricky Gervais. <laughs> I've
1: seen bits of it. There's yeah.
0: a bit where he's desperate to get into the ropes-off area, and he pays the bouncer.
1: Oh, and well, then the well,
0: bouncer well, just moves him slightly, and he's like, "What the hell?" <laughs> it's just just how ridiculous it is, you know, when they just rope off a little bit of the, the yeah,
1: club, a little section. And was there. that
0: what that was like?
1: Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Only you know, smallish room, but it was separate from the rest of the club. But what a great club it was! And you know, I love Tokyo, and I love going on the bullet train. I think it was the fastest train around at the time. It was shaped, you know, like a. Like a plane at the front.
0: Oh, I think I've seen it. Isn't it like a silver,
1: yeah, silver
0: you, bullet shape.
1: Yeah, I think the white now. But I remember this uh, the guy that was uh, helping us to c- carry all the bags. You know, unbelievable, about six suitcases on his on his head, running through the station so we didn't miss it. That's when I went with the fall. I think But it takes forever to get from the airport to Tokyo the Center. It takes about three hours. Really? Yes, it's a big place. Really, yes.
0: And how are you travelling in that three hours?
1: In you know, like a minibus type of fare.
0: Uh, wow. Yeah. Is it just because there's so much traffic or is it quite far away?
1: It's quite far away.
0: Are you sure he just didn't take you the long way round?
1: <laughs> no, I've heard this since then, you know, how long it takes, that journey. You know, three hours, you could fly to southern Italy you know, in three hours. <laughs> it's <laughs> crazy. So, uh, yeah, I've got fond memories of Japan and, and the Roppongi. Hills District. The next star is, well, roadies and being a roadie. Now, Mark always had this thing about um, the road crew, technicians, call them what you will, but they were totally different with uh, to the band and they shouldn't mix at all. <laughs> it's a bit daft really. Uh, right, did,
0: sorry, he had a rule that you couldn't mix.
1: He didn't like people mixing with the road crew too much because he thought he'd They'd give you bad habits and stuff <laughs> but, but he did he was fond of JT from London <laughs> the they,
0: so uh, you he, were allowed to mix with JT then
1: yeah because he said mark said he, he was related to the Duke of Wellington yeah he had a sort of profile a bit like that as well <laughs> JT yeah he's still knocking about <laughs> he, he wrote songs crew filth uh, Noel's ca- chemical effluent Knowles bus driver, and he used to put a gaffer tape marker divide on the tour bus. If you know a tour bus, you'd have eight seats at the front, and then a load of bunks, and then you'd have the middle bit over the middle door, where the toilet is, and then the back lounge, you see. Now, they had to sit in the front, and he'd put the the gaffer tape border before he actually got to the toilet.
0: (laughs) So the roadies weren't allowed to use the toilet facilities? No.
1: Well, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they did, you know, when Mark was asleep. I was going to say, I'm
0: sure they'll just step over a bit of tape on the ground.
1: Yeah, that's right. But he didn't like them wearing shorts or, or tour managers that had laptops when they first came out. Get some proper work done. He didn't like baseball caps. Um, the amount of tour managers we lost was unbelievable, you know, who either quit in disgust at their treatment or, you know, Mark just fired him because he, you know, didn't like the look of him. I was a roadie for Ian, though, briefly.
0: Mm-hmm. How did you find that?
1: I didn't like it because I was used to playing on the stage all those years with the fall being the main thing. Now, I know that they're not having a good time at the moment, are they? Uh, You know, rock and roll roadie technicians, call them what you want.
0: The entertainment industry as a whole... No. ...is not having a good time.
1: So, you know, I do feel for them because a lot of them out there. And a lot of
0: people who've done it for years and years. I know,
1: I know. And getting the odd gig, you know, socially distanced gig, but there's no big tours going around the world, is there? So let's hope that sorts itself out. But I just didn't really like it. But I was doing the roading with Ian when we went to the Galway Festival in 1999, I think it was, or 98, 98 possibly. Either way, the Beastie Boys were headlining this big festival. It was to the time they had the album Intergalactic. Love the Beastie Boys, really so love I. them.
0: Have you seen so, the documentary?
1: Yes, I have, it's yeah. It's
0: great, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, what that doesn't yeah bring a tear to your eye at the end. I know how I know. much love there was in that band.
1: Yeah, I got mistaken for a Beastie Boy once. You know, in Hampstead at the Post House.
0: I hope you said yes, you were a Beastie Boy. <laughs> no, uh,
1: well they just caused a riot in Liverpool, aren't they? The night you know, the night before, and the receptionist said, Are "You one of the Beastie Boys?" <laughs> I said, "No," because um, you know they'd gone round the around the country, have not they, with that big phallus thing that they took on the stage set with them. What, the, what a great band. Ian was playing there, so I'm setting up uh, the drummer, Simon, another Simon Moore, his drum kit, which had a kind of a, an unusual scaffolding type structure on his kit, which, from which the tom toms all used to hang. Okay. To cut a long story short, I didn't tighten up the clamps properly, so he's playing, and suddenly. <laughs> the whole case starts shifting like a leading tower of Pisa. <laughs> he looks absolutely um, not very happy at all, Simon, wasn't about this. But it took a while for us before we realised what was happening. It's now about 45 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> Luckily, um, the tour manager who I mentioned, Huey, he ran on and fixed it. But it just wasn't for me, the touring thing. It really right. wasn't.
0: One minute. Did you or did you not sabotage those drums?
1: Maybe unintentionally. Oh. That's what I wanted to happen, I don't know.
0: Simon!
1: I was a bit slapdash, as I said to you, the IKEA furniture, forget it. Yeah, you know, just it's not for you, break, is you know? it? No. No. But yeah, it's not for me, but that's uh, been a roadie.
0: I think it's a particular life, isn't it, the life of a roadie? The roadies that we know from the Apollo because we've seen so many tours come and go now, because we've been there 27 years, I think. Have oh, you? Yeah. yeah, so the same tours come round year after year after year with the same crew. Sure. I mean, it's brilliant. It's great. They well, love it because they come back in and everybody knows everybody. and it's
1: Yeah, once they're onto a good thing, they stick with it, don't they? Yeah. It, and they it, enjoy, it wouldn't?
0: And they enjoy it. They, they enjoy yeah. that life. But there was a TV series called Roadies. Do you remember it?
1: the one it? with um, the cut for uh, Coldplay?
0: what was his name tomo yes yes
1: right oh it's good that yeah
0: well there's a lot of the Apsley and the apollo filmed in that
1: tomo not so long ago for the first time
0: tomo's great yeah he He was
1: dead funny wasn't he was good on that show
0: my mum gave him an an award i think it said something like number one man in manchester oh just because she thought he was hilarious
1: yeah he's funny he's lovely isn't he
0: i wonder what he's doing now
1: well, I saw him at the Albert Hall about a year ago. I can't remember who I went to see. The one in Manchester, I mean. But, uh, yeah, he was regaling us with tails. Oh, he's
0: got great tails. Yeah. Anybody that knows Tomo will know that.
1: <laughs> My next star is the film Rollerball. Have you seen it, Jackie?
0: Are they playing ice hockey?
1: No, the the skating. It's um.
0: Oh, skating!
1: Yeah, James Khan He's a star. And and it was a, in misery. That was a good film. Yeah, I
0: do like James Khan because he was in Funny Lady, which is the sequel to Funny Girl with Barbara Streisand. But we'll leave that. I'm
1: not seeing that one.
0: No. Oh, you like it? But James Khan's brilliant, isn't he? <laughs> he's
1: great. Yeah, he he plays the star player from the Houston uh, rollerball team on the um. Intro of the film on the poster. It says, "In the not too distant future, there'll be no wars. There'll be rollable. It's this game. It's a big, huge circular track with a team of guys who look like ice skaters, but they've got you know uh, kind of leather gloves, gauntlets with studs in them. And it's quite very, very violent. The steel cannonball gets shot out of this cannon." They have to pick up this ball and, and go round and, and throw it into this kind of magnetic uh, device to score points. And it does have certain rules. And there's motorbikes that can tow you round. Not really a big science fiction buff, to be honest, but this one really, really caught my imagination. 1975, it was. It came out beautiful um, furniture and props in it. You know, from the seventies, yeah. chairs. You know you see, nowadays, basically the world's run by corporations by this time, set in the future, obviously. Probably not that far away from where we are now. Well, you know, the corporation is running the world. And Houston uh, is owned by the Energy Corporation, by the sinister Mr Bartholomew, who created the game to demonstrate the futility of individualism. So... Mr Bartholomew wants to retire this big star of the rollerball scene and they play different teams from all around the world and there's a lot of people getting injured along the way but Jonathan E, James Kahn, he's the number eight on the team he doesn't want to retire and he feels that he's been pushed out for some reason so he goes to this big computer in Houston called Q because his mate uh, Ralph Richardson, the actor works in there, and he finds out they're just basically brainwashing people. It's like the original internet, you know, Google place. It's a big building. It looks like, to me, to filmed it at the BMW headquarters in Munich, like four towers, you know, round ones. Very futuristic. It's a great film. But anyway, he refuses to retire, and they make the rules harder and, uh, well, less and less rules, so anything goes, really. You know, people starting to get killed now. You know, some of his teammates, and and they end up playing uh, Japan. They've got these karate experts on skates who go around. It's really good. The set's superb. But the music, which is Bach's toccata in D minor, at the beginning, that's how the film opens. I was just drawn into it straight away at the cinema in Alti. I must have been about 13, even though it was X-rated. They are supposed to be 18, but I don't think they are that bothered then, really. But it stuck with me, and I spent far too much time drawing pictures and scenes from Rollerball in my uh, Latin books at the back (laughs) with John Squire. He'd be doing other drawings, cartoons and what have you. But, yeah, massive influence on me. It sort of stuck with me. It seems sort of a little bit more relevant now than it did back in 1975.
0: Have you seen Running Man with Arnie?
1: Yeah, that was a good one as well.
0: That's an excellent film, isn't it? Yeah. It's very similar.
1: Yes, it is.
0: And it's a bit like TV now. You see, I can't stand TV that makes a fool of anyone. I don't like, you know, where people get set up. I didn't like Game for a Laugh. Do you remember that TV no, series? No, no. I don't like where people are set up to be made to look stupid on TV. No. Even if afterwards they think it's funny and, you know... What
1: was a, that? Um, a fifteen
0: not, minutes of fame. I don't like it. It puts
1: Beatles about. That was yeah. another one. Hated him. Um, a, he was another one I sat next to on a plane. Generally, <laughs> we didn't say anything to him.
0: Did you not speak to him? No, no. Why didn't you speak to him? I didn't
1: like his show. Really, you know, I didn't, I didn't find it that funny at all. It all sat up. You know what I mean? If I'm sat on a plane, I generally keep myself to myself, and I get I pull a book out usually. And then fall asleep after about half an hour snoring.
0: That'd be great if you woke up and you had your head on Jeremy um shoulder, S-
1: slathering all, over <laughs>
0: it. snuggling up to him. <laughs> no, I don't like TV like that. And that was the great thing about The Running Man. It was showing how far TV can be pushed. You know, oh, you see, can see yeah. people being killed on TV, and it was seen as entertainment.
1: Yeah, that's what exactly what was happening in Rollerball towards the end. It didn't but, start out like that, but but because Jonathan E., James Kahn, wouldn't retire, and his, his wife stuck the uh, knife in him. You know, she wanted the payoff that they were offering him, but no, he's stuck to his guns, and he ends up winning anyway. Uh, the,
0: oh, spoiler alert!
1: I know, but uh, <laughs> he, they're playing New York, you know, right, Lord of <laughs> the tough heads. and there's only two of them left, James Kahn and this guy from New York and they're after each other around this track. It's very good, the choreography. It's unbelievable. I think Andre Previn um, did the music during his funky period.
0: Andrew Preview. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it stuck with me, that one. So that's Rollerball. (laughs) My next star is the Ryder family. Paul, Sean, Derek, who's... Sadly, not with us anymore. Derek was such a lovely
0: man, wasn't he? He was, wasn't he? Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I think he must have been very good for the brothers when they first started out.
0: So Derek was their dad, wasn't
1: he? Yeah, yeah. Derek.
0: But he was also manager.
1: Yes, he was at some point, wasn't he? Uh, I used to go around to Paul's, uh, well, the family home now and again. He had a lovely car, Paul, a Volvo P4, I think they're called, like the one the Saints had, um, which, you know really good. I don't know what happened to that. But uh, I hung out with him for quite a bit uh, for a couple of years, certainly when uh, I was with Ian, because I remember him coming down and miming bass to Dolphins and Monkeys at TGI Fridays in London. But a lovely lad. We went to a party one night in North London, Wilsdon, I think. It was a house party, great party. And then all of a sudden, I uh, heard all these... Cars, you know, vintage sports cars, Ferraris and the like, coming down, and he was there, J.K. from Jamiroquai, with his big hat on, big daft hat. <laughs> so, yeah, had some good times with Paul. and He lives in America now, over in California, so I nice. don't get to see him a lot. So, uh, hi there, Paul, if you're listening. Great bass player.
0: So this is the Happy Mondays?
1: Yes, with, with Gaz, the drummer. Yeah, I mean, I remember what I've told you about the night that they first got signed up at Corbieres in the letter C, I think.
0: Yeah, so lovely Corbieres with the fantastic staff that they had. So they had Jeff yeah, the your chef. sister. My sister was there. Yeah. And Nick. <laughs> Nick's lovely. So they got signed up and you didn't.
1: Well, we could have done, but as as I said, Andrew, did, he wanted to sign with EMI, you know, even though Tony Wilson had uh, put the offer down that very night, the same night. But I love the Happy Mondays, I I really do. Hopefully they'll get back on the road again. So some great stuff, uh, right from the Bummed album, Pills, Thrills, Belly Aches. It's quite a story, really. And I was reminded of watching 24-Hour Party People the other day, just what it was like. He was great in that, Steve Coogan as Tony Wilson, brilliant. And I thought Paul's cameo appearance was very good, you know, as the the money collector who came round once a week to get the big wad of cash off Tony. You know, he played it very well. Mark was in that, of course, as a cameo appearance. I don't really know Sean as well. I saw Sean about six months ago, uh, This t- well, before the lockdown. I don't think he recognised me. He seemed uh, stunned, you know. I said, hi, hey, Sean, how you doing? But, of course, I've met him a few times over the years but never really got to know him. First time I ever met him was in the dry barn. he said, uh, "I was with Mark, and I'd only just joined with Mark in '86." Get your gear out <laughs> you know, in front of Mark. <laughs> so I thought I better keep it cool, you know, and hope Mark didn't hear him. But I think Mark did hear him. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I went to the, say the family home a few times with Paul. On you know, the day I met the mum, it was lovely. She she knew all about the bands and everything. You know, he knew about Mark. And how's Mark? How's his mum? It's what they didn't live a million miles away. It's in Worsley. But I did prefer Reverend Black Grape. You know, as my first choice.
0: Oh, so the Black Grape stuff that they did.
1: Well, that song in particular is Jed Lynch on drums. What a job he did! Now sonically, it's superb. Really, really is that song. But I love uh, loads of uh, the Monday's tracks. Tart, tart—they sing about one of their albums. Was a girl that I used to know who lived in Shorten, Die yeah I remember, you know, Tony Wilson going. He's, you know, he's a new Marquis Smith. You know, lyrically, and he has got some kind of good lyrics. A lot of druggy uh, lyrics, which you know I can sort of decipher. They were great to watch live. I've seen him a load of times over the years and they just get better and better actually you know I love watching Rowetta I think she's great to be up there and we did support the Mondays when I was in Big Unit at the Ritz in Manchester and somewhere down in Essex and and London at the Kentish Town Forum we supported them that was about five five years ago I think and I I don't think Sean was hanging around with the band he just gets brought in at the last minute and then whisked off stage again to keep his keep him out of trouble or whatever, I don't know.
0: Do you watch him and Bez on Gogglebox?
1: I've seen him a couple of times, yeah.
0: They're hilarious, aren't they? They are I? good. I wonder how they're allowed out on their own <laughs> without somebody helping them in life.
1: They're probably all right on their own, it's just when they get together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but they are brilliant and it's it's nice to see um, their friendship Yeah, and how well they get on.
1: I, I did like that uh, Alien show that Sean Ryder did. I don't really believe in aliens, but I thought he was very good on it. You know, his take on it, his narration, whatever.
0: Are you an absolute no then to aliens?
1: Yeah, pretty much, yeah.
0: You don't think there's anybody else out in the universe? No. Do you think we should be spending money on finding out if Venus has got some sort of life?
1: I think we're better off getting a vaccine for this uh, pandemic, don't you?
0: Yes, Simon, I do.
1: Well, there's undiscovered species deep in the oceans people have never seen before. You know, plant life, fish I'll, life.
0: I'll take you back to Nessie.
1: <laughs> so I'm still not having it. <laughs> <laughs> My next star is a department store called Rackham's in Altrincham. Well, I went to get a, a new shirt the other day for a away, and it's shut down. Couldn't believe it, been going there for years and years. You know, it's uh, good quality stuff, won't fall to bits. You have to pay a bit more for it, obviously. I don't mind, I'd rather do that than buy one from uh, Primark that just shrinks or whatever after one wash. So, yeah, what a shame that is. I've been going there consistently, really, over the years. If I need the odd thing, you know, I know what they got. I know it'll be pretty good quality. It's a house of Fraser. Part of the chain.
0: So it's like a department store. Did it have floors, different floors? Only only
1: a couple of floors. The one in Manchester, obviously, which they were talking about winding that one down, but I'm glad it's still going. But uh, my my dad went there once to get his hair cut in the salon. It was the funniest thing because my dad, he sort of had hair like Dirk Bogard, all greased back, slicked back with brill cream. You know, he had black hair. The guy, he must have gone in for a haircut, and the guy said, Why did not you try this? Oh, no. He comes was with this weird bouffant. <laughs> he came through the door, and me and Jane, my sister, and my mum just burst out laughing. He was absolutely crestfallen. <laughs> my dad, he, he got red. He washed it straight away and had it the best he could, like he did before. This is where I saw um, Bumped into Morrissey the other day. You know, he was sat outside there. On a, on a bench there on his own. So yeah, I miss Rackhams I really will. It was, you know, could nip in there and know exactly where everything was and get out again. If you wanted a pair of socks or something. So I'm really sad to see it go. <laughs> My next is going to be Reykjavik, which is the capital of Iceland. And I went there with Ian, with Ian Brown Band. 2000, I think. It's not a long flight. What an unusual place it is. You know, like a moonscape, looks like the moon or something. You know, volcanic geysers going off all over. And uh, we went to the uh, Blue Lagoon, it's called, which, you know, are sulphur pools, basically, that you bathe in. I didn't like the look of the trunks that you had to hire, quite frankly.
0: You had to hire trunks?
1: Unless you, if you pack your own.
0: Oh, you'd <laughs> that, have to pack your own.
1: Well, I, I didn't know I was going to go there. Oh,
0: no, you had to use borrowed trunks. It's like being well, a school. Well, I didn't, you see. <laughs> Did me, you refuse?
1: Yeah, so I'm, and I don't fancy it. And I think Ian uh, was a bit miffed, you know, that i come all this way and not trying it out. But nevertheless, I, I didn't want to get in there.
0: Did he put some borrowed
1: trunks Yeah, on? they all went in apart from me and the minder who was with us, Martel, and We were just sat, you know, watching and uh, drinking beer and the bar at the side there. Was a, uh, we had a great time anyway. The gig was a festival. It was indoors and it was full of families of all ages. You know, a three-year-old toddler, a 15-year-old and the mum and dad. Even a couple of her grandparents. This big hall. Must have been about five, six, seven thousand big. And uh, all, what I remember most is the band, the Bloodhound Gang, who were playing. I don't know if you remember them, but they were riding the top of the charts around the world. And they had a song called The Bad Touch. I listened to it the other day. I thought, well, that's actually a really good song, that, really good. And in the video, they dress up in monkey suits, which I don't know, I'm a bit suspicious normally of bands who dress up. I think, well, the music might not be good enough, (laughs) but actually it is. Uh, We had uh, some, you know, nice drinks. I don't know what the local hooch is called there. I think they've, they've got a big drinking problem in Iceland, you know. There's not much else to do, really.
0: Is there a lot of homebrew, that sort of action going on?
1: Well, I didn't say any of that. I didn't go to anybody's house. I
0: just know in places like Sweden, because it's so expensive. Right. People are making their own, aren't they? And that tends to make them drink more. Right. Have you ever made homebrew?
1: Oh, no. Oh, I might have tried it once, but it was a disaster. You know, beer at school and buckets yeast no <laughs>
0: Which school did you go to where they're making beer? It's <laughs> the child labour again, isn't it?
1: <laughs> well, it tasted awful, so I never, but never tried doing it again. It's
0: it was very seventies, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, brewing
0: people in airing cup, you know, putting stuff in airing cupboards.
1: Yeah, I, I don't remember where I put my. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do own brew really.
0: I mean, is it something you'd like to think about? You could create your own wine.
1: Perhaps if it was on a desert island or something, yeah, but she' usually just go down the you now and get a bottle of something.
0: Where but, do you think on a desert island you're going to get all the stuff you need <laughs> to make your own wine? Well, You need to do it while you hear where the stuff is. <laughs> Never mind waiting until you get on a desert island. Yeah. It's not happening, is it?
1: Well, it's not something I bother with again, No. I'm you know, okay. making stuff. Although I, I, did, I did want to do wood, woodwork at school, but I got put in the Latin set. you see. Which was useless. Never learnt anything.
0: And now for building IKEA furniture, would have been ideal, wouldn't it? You'd have been much handier to yeah. have around. You wouldn't have had to get a man in <laughs> or a woman. So, have you got a favourite country that you've been to when you've we've played either with The Fall or with Ian or?
1: Um, I, I've got to say, America. Really, I do like going there. I mean, I know it's changed a lot now, old place since Trump's got in. But uh, you know, San Francisco, all those programmes that I'd seen when I was a kid, the streets of San Francisco, further down, Starsky and Hodge, New York, Kojak. These are places that have sort of burnt into my mind, you know, from a kid.
0: Yeah, because New York, when you get there, it's like being on a film set, isn't it? It is. Every corner I turned, every building I saw, I just thought, well, this is the greatest place on earth.
1: Some great noises and sounds and uh, smells. New York.
0: And just a great feeling, and then you get Central Park suddenly in the middle of it.
1: Yeah, that's some that's something there. When you walk through there, I've seen all the buildings around it, incredible. So, yeah, I'd say America is, though I do love Italy. But, I've, you know, I've only played there a couple of times. In Milan, Milan, it was, yeah.
0: And how long were you in Reykjavik for?
1: Probably a couple of days. We had a bit of a drive around, you know.
0: Do you see- try and do that when you go somewhere? Do you try and get... An- get to see a bit of the country
1: if it's out in the sticks yeah but you know back then i'm more interested in just getting drunk really you know i'm in a time off in the hotel bar and having a laugh rather than taking in any culture i'm sort of making up, up for it now you know when i go abroad so let's hope we have got things back right again you know for too long <laughs>
0: Okay, we're going to need a soundtrack for The Lesser R. What have you got?
1: The first one, Realm of Dusk by The Fall. One of my favourite songs I ever played on with the band. The second one, very topical, Who's Zooming Who? Aretha Franklin. Great song, I love that. The next one, Beautiful Stranger by Madonna. Set adrift on memory bliss, PM dawn. And finally, Junior Senior, Move Your Feet
0: great we'll see you next week
1: we will bye for an hour Jackie
0: this podcast
1: was produced and edited by John post-production is by Carl Svenson at Tadar Media Limited music by Colin McGrath Joe Brown Johnny Smale and Simon Wollstonecroft. and the artwork is by Lee Dyer this has been funky size A to Z of Manchester
0: Thanks for listening to Funky Size A to Z of Manchester. If you're enjoying this series, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.